Life in Private Staffing with me, Philippa Smith, MD of Silver Swan Recruitment. As we all know, the private sector is a pretty crazy one. Not only can it be very challenging to work in, but it can be pretty lonely too, as let's face it, no one really understands what it is that we do. So let's come together, help, support, educate and inspire one another, and hopefully we'll have a laugh along the way. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are again. Welcome back uh, to Life in Private Staffing with me, Philippa Smith, uh, MD of Silver Swan Recruitment. How are you all? Are you well? Hope you've had a good week. So this week, we are bringing it back in-house, and I am once again dragging one of my guys on to come and answer some of the dilemmas I've been sent in. So today, we've got Charlotte on. Charlotte will, in her, in a minute, introduce herself, but she basically manages all of our European clients. And we have, we've actually got quite a lot of questions that came in regarding sort of stuff in Europe. So I've pulled off some of the ones that I think are useful. Uh, we'll cover some of those. We'll talk about being able to do seasons and how we do that and how to get into yachting, uh, etc. So we will shortly crack on with that. Just before we do, as always, Kelly Dixon Estate Management Systems, our fabulous sponsor. If you haven't yet checked out her new podcast called The Billionaire, then do. She has got a new podcast designed to help those who employ staff understand a bit more about you know how to employ hire and look after their employees so please do check it out as always we have a discount code for all of her products also live 25 go to her website she has training modules she has uh, project management tools etc and a discount code 25 percent off anything with live 25 okay great on with the show Hello, Charlotte. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, Philippa. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Is it? Is it really? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not at all. You and I both know that I hate photos and I hate recording, but I'm here. So let's go. (laughs) Honestly, I'm very grateful. Just to make you feel better, I am going to drag every single person that works for me onto this podcast. So you may as well get over and done with nice and early and then you can just carry on with your lovely little life. (laughs) <laughs> thank you thank you what you need to do though is you need to make sure that you're shit otherwise i'll make you come back and do it again later in the season so let's try and have a really bad podcast and then you'll never be invited back <laughs> i'm just gonna um and ah uh, the whole way through this now <laughs> <laughs> don't be silly right then so do you want to tell everybody a little bit about you and like what your role is here at silver swan yes so i work on our european desk um i manage the european recruitment on a day-to-day hourly minutely basis we specifically specialize in private households around europe paris italy france a variety of different locations and we have some really exciting roles especially this year we do also do seasonal positions such as um, winters and summers so winters um, in luxury chalets and then summers in um, you know the south of France where we're all dreaming of being right now. Exactly and you actually started your career with us working in the Middle East on the Middle East desk so you've transitioned into the European desk haven't you? I have. And I think the working on the Middle East desk definitely set me up for the desk that I'm managing now, which is really exciting. So the Middle East was totally different. But no, I learned a lot. And it was a fantastic experience in the first year working at Silver Swan. Just to give everyone a bit of background as well. So I used to, when I first started the company, it was very much starting doing winters and summers. So I very much worked the European desk. And then my colleague Matt took over the European desk. And then Charlotte came in and there's something just mad has happened. So like, she's putting us all to shame. I used to do a bit of European stuff. Charlotte is the busiest person at the moment in the office. Like, the, our European stuff has just gone mental, hasn't it? Like, the volume of roles and the volume of permanent roles is just insane. 
Yeah, it really is insane. I, I sort of, Middle East Desk was super busy. It was sort of volume recruitment and really specifically targeting particular candidates. And then obviously coming onto the European Desk, it was started being seasonal. So a few chalet chefs here and there. And then, you know, six months down the line and we are just inundated with positions here, there and everywhere. So this is normal. It seems normal because I didn't know what it was before. So it's, um, there's never a dull moment. <laughs> no, I love it. Poor Charlotte. We've been trying to get her someone to come and work with her for so long and we're still on the case. But um, talk us through some of the roles you've got at the moment because you've got some super cool roles in some super cool places. I do. So a very new role of ours that we've got in is for one particular client and they have their six positions with them. So this client uh, travels worldwide, but predominantly is based between Barcelona and Ibiza. So they're looking for a butler, two butlers, actually, as well as a um, house manager. There's also um, some chef positions with them as well as um, roles that we don't really focus on so much. um, But we just happen to have some great candidates on our books. So an executive assistant and logistics manager. I love these type of roles because the client really has given me an insight into their lifestyle and the type of candidates that they want. And so thankfully, I guess because of my time being here for almost two years, I've spoken to some incredible candidates over the years that I feel I've always wanted to help and so when this role did come about and the particular profiles that I'm tasked with looking for these names have just come to my mind straight away and I'm very pleased to say that four of them are trialing and one of them's already been offered a position so those are some really exciting roles that I'm working on as well at the moment and then I've just finished a call this morning with a client looking for um, villa staff for the south of France this summer so those are some new roles coming in later down the line this year. There's some of the great roles you've got I also saw recently you've got a lot of roles in Sweden. Yes, I do. So there's so many things going on, actually. I've got to remind myself. Sweden, we've got another few great roles, actually. So um, a really high profile client. They're looking for a management couple. I love the couple roles. They're very unique. You've really got to headhunt and handpick the right candidate and the right couple that can work well together and that you can envision as a recruitment consultant that can really manage that property to their expectations. So that's a really exciting role, as well as a nanny as well for the newborn baby that they have. So um, I've, I've loved Sweden always. I've never been there, but this is a really exciting role to have for candidates. So, yeah. What's your split at the moment, would you say, between seasonal positions and permanent positions that you've got? So I would say that when I started on the desk, it was predominantly 80% seasonal roles. I'd say now it's more so 75% permanent roles, which is, I think, something we always wanted for the European desk as well, which is really exciting. It just means that I can really, really focus on the right candidate that would stay with that client for the long term. And then seasonal roles, again, I still love having them because there's always candidates out there that want a seasonal opportunity, you know, that might have just finished working for a principal that want a bit of downtime that are just happy to go and work a summer season for a few months so it's still nice to be able to encapsulate a multiple a variety of different opportunities for candidates as well yeah and a bit of variety for you as well when it comes to some of the roles that you're managing like a bit of a mixed bag definitely um yeah. well let's dive in because i've been said we've got some questions that have been sent in we've got some through instagram i got a couple on linkedin i've got a couple of them here and one of them ties in quite nicely with what we we're talking about in terms of doing uh seasons so as everybody knows silverstone was set up just doing pretty much winter chalets but that was back in the lovely days of pre-Brexit where Brits could go do ski season that was very much like 95% of what Silver Swan did placing Brits to go do ski seasons the world's a different place now what someone did message saying is it still possible for me as a Brit to go and do a ski season how what are you saying to Brits looking for work for the winter 
So I'm lucky in a way because I have really come onto this desk with Brexit's happened. So I can only focus on European candidates. I've never had the um, experience that Matt, my predecessor, uh, managing the desk before me had. So essentially, you know, a lot of the clients that I do work with on seasonal roles, they will only focus on candidates that do hold EU passports because of visa reasons, for travel purposes. It's not something the client already has to manage the reservations that they're getting or even their own personal state at their chalet. They don't want to be dealing with a visa process that can take sometimes four to eight weeks. It's just not what they want to do. Whilst they still dream of having British passport holders, I think that for ease, for the client, I personally only focus on EU passport holders. However, we're aware that UK passport holders are allowed and eligible to stay in the European Union for up to 90 days. So, you know, if it was a short-term role for two weeks, a temporary position working in a chalet, then I find that British passport holders can have that opportunity then, but it is rare for me. Such a shame, such a shame, isn't it? It is, it is such a shame. I remember, you know, when I was working in the private household industry, being a UK passport holder, I remember going to work in Switzerland for a week and it was just really easy and really normal. Um, I was inundated with great opportunities. So now, you know, it does feel unfair and it is really annoying. But there are always fantastic opportunities in our UK market and in London. Exactly. You can go on holiday to the south of France. You don't need a job there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so we, we say this to loads of people, like there are definitely ski companies out there that do hire British people, but they are generally more for like, the more management positions, the positions that are just like a bit more um, harder to fill, quite important to the company. As you know, my sister Kerry owns a ski company, Consensio, and they did a few visas for some people. But like you say, it's an absolute ball egg. It takes time. There's a process you have to go through. They have to advertise in, in France first. They have to prove that no French applicants were suitable before they can even start the process. It's just really faffy, but it's possible. So don't be completely deterred. It's still worth reaching out to ski companies you probably wouldn't be able to do it through an agency because I can't imagine a company would have the faffy process and still pay an agency for the introduction. So generally, we wouldn't really recommend any British people to our French clients. There are some Swiss clients will take Brits. It's a bit easy there. Slightly, slightly easier process. But um, yeah, typically, you're going to be on a, on a local contract. So you need to have an EU passport. And it's so funny because pre-Brexit, we actually used to say to all the EU passport holders, we can't help you because all of our clients have you on a British contract. A UK contract, a UK payroll, you have to have a UK NI number, UK bank account, and they second you to out to France. So we used to turn around, turn away all the EU candidates. And now it's a complete, absolute complete 180 switch, where it's like we own we only can use EU candidates. Maybe that's there. Maybe that's potentially really helped you attract permanent roles because now all of a sudden you're only talking to EU people. So you're really building up a fantastic network of EU candidates who ultimately become clients and recommending all the rest. And I think that's maybe had a real positive effect on the growth of your desk yeah definitely definitely yeah bless and also it completely changes the ski industry as a whole so like it's just a very like a very different place now i'm just glad i did my ski season when i did where i went out there drank every night yeah. fell off tables <laughs> like that's what ski season's all about <laughs> yeah but it's not like because the brits aren't out there and the, the eu candidates they see the ski season very differently they like british people would go out and bubble around for a season and ski load but the eu candidates still see it as a really important like step instead of their career they're, they're taking it as a real professional step you know definitely I think it is more of a profession for them you know a lot of the EU passport holders that I do speak to that are working right now actually for some of our clients they say can I just amend this because I'm not really interested in the ski pass 
So a lot of them aren't actually interested in the whole aspect of skiing for them. You know, it's a really good opportunity for them to have some downtime if they aren't as busy and they can to take pictures for their Instagram, for the cooking that they've been making, to create menus. It's just a fantastic experience for them as well. Yeah. Nice. Okay, right then, moving on. Our next question, someone said, is, is I'm really struggling to get my first role on a yacht. And you've watched yachts before, so you might have a little bit of uh, advice for greenies. Yeah, so, oh gosh, it feels like years ago now, but I was very, very lucky. It's a role that everybody dreams of. You suddenly hear or you see on the television these fabulous yachts and you're like, yeah, I want to, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do it. It's really hard, especially now because of what's been going on in the world and a, a lot of sanctions on a lot of the most world renowned yachts. There is almost too, I think there are too many stewardesses out there for the lack of volume in yachts that are actually still sailing right now. So essentially when I was working in the yachting industry, just like you uh, mentioned with your skiing, time as well I was lucky I really was but my advice is you know if you do come from a luxury background for example I worked in private members clubs in London I worked at some really fine dining restaurants um, in London also and I was lucky enough I just did my five-day STCW I think I was having a bit of an early life crisis then I quit my job (laughs) and I was like okay I'm just going to do this five-day course and hope for the best And I obviously signed up to a few of the um, yachting websites. I put my CV out there. I made sure that my profile picture looked like I was already in the south of France with my white polo shirt on. And I just sent loads of job applications for entry-level stewardess positions. I knew myself, I'd worked in hotels, I'd worked in restaurants. I had the combination of housekeeping and service experience. So I think that really did help me and get my foot in the door very soon. So I didn't have to go down the route of dock walking. I did get a job on one of the world's best super yachts, actually 99 meter fedship, which was the most incredible experience of my life. So I sent my application, got a position and then worked on board. However, some others who perhaps aren't so lucky or they've done their STCW at the particular time in the season, they do find themselves flying out to the south of France to go to Antibes, to go dock walking. So I always think, you know, that's a really great opportunity. It's probably best to do that when it's beginning it almost you're already in the Mediterranean season because that way stewardesses come off the boat they decide they don't want to do it anymore so that captain has probably gone to his local coffee shop in Antibes and then he's waiting internally thinking I really hope the stewardess just walks in now so I think if you can't find a job from already applying for positions on these yachting websites then my advice is definitely you know go dock walking think of it as a little holiday for yourself go and network go to the coffee shops go to where these people will be captains stewardesses but it's got to be at that right time in the season it really you have to be right time right place unfortunately but um it's definitely an opportunity of yeah right time right place and who you know as well like net, like mingle with yachties definitely mingle it's all about socializing in that role as well as is uh, like the skiing industry yeah I do think, though, that a recruitment agency is probably not the people that will help you get your first role because a yacht just won't justify paying us a fee to introduce them to someone that's brand new. They can pick up a brand new person on the dock. Definitely, completely agree with that. So essentially, they can just pick up a person for free on the dock that happens to be walking at that time of day. So I don't think a recruitment agency um, that's not specialised in yachting can um, necessarily help. So I think your best bet is to definitely go onto the yachting websites, apply via them, because, you know, after all, that they do what they say on the tin. So that's your best bet. They're so good as well, the yachting websites. We use them all the time. We do. Don't we? Really They're really good. Okay, fabulous. So someone else has come in through Instagram. They really want to work as a couple and they're really struggling to get a job together. I know you get quite a lot of roles in, couple roles in. What's your views on people working together? 
So we definitely get a lot of couple roles. I guess that's where where our seasonal roles are so fantastic because who wouldn't want to go and work in the south of France in a fabulous villa with their boyfriend or with their girlfriend um, or with their partner? So they we have some really great opportunities. Um, most of the couple roles that we do get are naturally going to be, you know, if you're a fantastic chef and your partner's been a chief stewardess or she's been a butler, she's worked in service and housekeeping, that is the ultimate making of a couple that I can definitely assist. For example, right now I'm looking for couples that are both the combination of chef, housekeeper and butler. So um, if you are one of those, then feel free to send me your CVs. So you can work with your partner. I think uh, eventually uh, down the line when perhaps you are looking for a role with your partner that's not a chef or that you've never cooked in your life, the roles that you would probably be looking at are more domestic couples. You'd be more managing a property or managing a villa, doing the exterior. So, you know, if you're a gardener or if you know how to do maintenance, but then you're also able to do the housekeeping and the service aspect, you're also a great couple, but you would probably more so be suited to um, long-term permanent positions. Seasonal roles are really about how can this one couple manage everything in that property that my client's looking for. And to do that, you really have to be able to cook and you've got to be able to be very much guest facing. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because I can imagine loads of people saying, I can't get a job together. Um, And it's like, well, what skills have you got? Because ultimately... It, you know, if one of you is a nurse and the other one of you is a teacher, then yes, you're probably going to struggle getting a job together. Yeah. So I suppose it'd be like, you need to think about what it is you're, you're applying to. It's just pointless applying to couple roles if you haven't got the skills that they need. And so therefore, if you're really serious about working as a couple long term with your partner, you need to be spending a bit of time gaining the skills that you're lacking. Do you know what Definitely. I mean? And, so, and, and I completely agree with your point as well. Yeah, seasonal couple roles, very much a chef host. One has to be a very good chef. One has to be very good front of house. And if that's never going to happen for you, if you're never, ever going to be that chef couple, then yeah, you need to be looking at more of the domestic couple roles, maybe in a bigger property where they have a full-time chef and then they have a couple that run the rest of it. But it's still very much going to be service orientated. It's still one of you still very much going to have to be housekeeping, service. The other one probably needs to be driving and exterior and that kind of thing. So it's all about gaining those skills. And also, I think, trying to get experience working together anywhere. Go work in a hotel together. Go work in a guest house together. Even if you like play the long game, if you want to be working in a private house on a permanent basis together, you'll need to have you'll need to have worked together previously to demonstrate you can work together. Definitely. So, you know, take a step back a little bit and try and find a property or an environment that will take two of you. And yeah, more like a little boot little boutique place, a little boutique hotel, that kind of thing. Because you can't be again frustrated that people aren't giving you jobs when you haven't got the relevant experience, you've never worked together before. Do you know what I mean? Especially if you're going through an agency, like the, the couples that you're representing, clients, you know, the fees are decent on couples because there's two of you, obviously. So clients are very happy to pay that, but you need to be a quality couple to for, for us to be able to place you, you know? Yeah, you're, you're, in fact, you've got a really cool role in Africa at the moment for a couple, but they need to know what they're doing, you know? They, the, the client out there is not going to take a couple that have never worked together before in this environment to run a lodge in Africa, you know? Yeah. I'm all for offering opportunities and I very much have so much faith in all of the couples that I speak to. But equally, you know, I really need to know that I'm speaking to a couple that, as you say, have worked together, that aren't going to just suddenly argue and one of them wants to leave. I need to know that you are going to be able to 
run that property with your eyes closed and everything's going to be exceeding the guest expectations all of the time. So yeah, you've definitely got to have worked together before, as you say, work in a boutique hotel. Uh, luckily, you know, we do have seasonal chalet roles. Maybe if there's two chalet host positions in the same resort, go and do that. That's a great opportunity if you can't cook to just gain that experience as well. Yeah, exactly. And I personally could think of anything worse than working with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ben. He doesn't listen to this. It's a safe space. Ben, do you listen? <laughs> it's a safe space. We did do a ski season together, but that was back when we were young. But now, um, again, people thinking doing it together it is great, but don't underestimate the pressures that puts on you as a couple also. You know, so um, it's not a job to be taken lightly. You know, leaving your job for a new job, there's an element of risk there anyway, but you don't, if they're risking your relationship at the same time. Absolutely. You need to be solid. They're already cracked in your relationship or you're volatile or you argue lots. Don't do it to yourself. Don't do it. Just don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness me. Um, But having said that, I know some couples who are amazing and have been working as a couple their entire lives and it just works for them. Brilliant. You know, brilliant. Right then, we have got time for another question for sure. This is about chefing. So we talked about this before, actually, when we have private chefs on. What is a private chef? How to get your first private chef job? How do you transition from a commercial kitchen into a private kitchen? Yeah, so this is actually something I always advise my friends who are chefs from past experiences. A lot of them have worked in Michelin-star restaurants. They've worked in private members clubs. And I always do say to them, if I bump into them every now and again, I say, you know, when are you going to go and be a private chef? There's such a difference in, you know, the salary that you'll make for yourself and also the experiences that you'll gain as well. So I think there's so much more potential for a commercial chef coming from a background working in restaurants Um, hotels to be able to transition into becoming a private chef and I think the first step and the most sensible step to take is essentially going to do a season so you know if you have got some time off during the winter or the summer season it's always best to you know go and work in a chalet go and be a chalet chef go and be a villa chef just to go and find out, you know, you might be used to being the head chef and managing a kitchen of 15, but can you go and actually work on your own, cook for up to 20 guests, create a menu from breakfast, lunch and dinner, including canapes and cheeses afterwards? Can you actually do that on your own? So I think the best way to go and do that and to really open the doors for yourself is to go and do a chalet, see if you like it. And then from there on, you never know who's going to be staying at that chalet in that particular week that you happen to be there that might love your cooking so much and say look Charlotte come and work for me that's it you're sorted you're actually sorted probably for life Um, I speak to a lot of private chefs that have literally started from the bottom up they were working as a junior sous chef in various restaurants and then they did one chalet season and now they're just bossing their chef lifestyle working traveling around the world working for one particular high-flying individual and it's just amazing to hear that. I don't know many people that have transitioned into private chefing and gone back to a restaurant they generally stay, don't they? Very true. I actually don't think I've ever seen that on a CV. And I see a lot of chef CVs like we all do. Um, I've, I've actually never seen anybody that goes back. They might do to perhaps go and help out of openings of restaurants. But equally, they certainly, you know, you don't go back. But I completely agree with you. I think if you're working as a restaurant chef, you need to gain experience working as a private chef. You need to be able to demonstrate to a potential new employer that you can manage everything on your own. There's a lot you're leaving behind, like you're leaving a brigade, the camaraderie, you know, the support. And all of a sudden, you haven't got a pot of wash, you haven't got someone doing the shopping for you, you haven't got a head chef doing all the budgeting, you haven't got someone doing all the sources. Like you are literally 
doing it all. And normally in an open plan kitchen with kids running around and the dad trying to talk to you. So like you need to be able to like do all of it, keep in a very clean environment, manage the menus, manage last minute dinner parties. So I actually think the role of a private chef is mental. I think it's so stressful, especially if you're like traveling as well. Like you'll arrive at the holiday villa four hours before the family and they're expecting a dinner party for 16 people that night. And it's just like, you need to also settle and find your accommodation. But you also need to go to the shopping and find where everything is and make sure the kitchen works. I think it's so stressful. Definitely, definitely. And also another thing is that they've got to be able to, you know, you may have been hiding in the kitchen for most of your career working in that restaurant or that hotel. You're going to be talking to the guest on a daily basis. You're going to wake up and your principal's going to say, what's for breakfast today? What's for dinner? In fact, he's not going to ask what. He's going to tell you what he wants. And he might change it last minute. And you really do need to take note from your general managers that manage the restaurant floor for you. You know, you might think that they're a nightmare sometimes when you're working together or you clash, but it is stressful being in a guest facing role as well. You have to still smile when your client tells you, you know, five minutes ago he wanted sushi and now he's decided that he wants a curry. You've got to smile and you've got to just get on with it and do it. Say yes and figure it out afterwards. So you've got to have that aspect of being able to just confidently communicate as well as, you know, cook some incredible dishes. Yeah, no, I agree. Social skills. The, the chef has never needed to have social skills in a kitchen. Uh, but they're so important. You have to be clean. Like hygiene is important. And I know it's difficult for a chef. Like when you're hot all the day, it's difficult to stay clean when you're in a kitchen anyway. But obviously that's really important in the way you keep your kitchen. But yeah, and, and, and another little tip, I think, if you're working as a restaurant chef and you're thinking of transitioning, start building a portfolio for yourself. So start taking photos of your food. Set up an, a professional Instagram account. So even when you're in your commercial kitchen, start trying to protect photos and create a bit of a body of works. So then when you sort of do start to look, you've got something to show people. The first thing people are going to ask for is menus and photos and things. And most restaurant chefs just haven't got that stuff up their sleeve but you can start to build it if you're thinking about it early enough and then yeah and then really put yourself out there in terms of private work so network if you've got a mate that's doing a birthday party on Saturday go help him like for free go and try and help with some of these freelance ad hoc little gigs ski season's a great a great entry uh, away villa or chalet because often the owner of the villa or chalet is very happy to take somebody that's worked in a restaurant you don't necessarily need to have had the private experience providing your menus look good and your food photos look good so that's, a, again, a really good way. But yeah, you've got to put a little bit of thought into it in advance and start, yeah, create a portfolio of your work, get some good references, get some good menus, try and help out wherever you can in private gigs, go do ski seasons. But you're, you know, good chefs are sought after. So everybody needs good chefs. So chefs are a different breed, though. I think chef, you'd need to be a different breed to deal with the pressure. So I understand why chefs are the way they are, because you have to be, otherwise you get chewed up and spat back out. You need to have this like level of toughness and the ego helps, you know, you need to be ever so confident with what you're doing. But yes, but as I say, we say you and I don't know many people that have gone from restaurant to private and back because opportunities as a private chef are just incredible. Like cooking, you're the star of the show, you know, and if you can deal with the pressure, enjoy the limelight. Traveling is lucrative. I know chefs in America on two, three, four hundred grand a year, uh, dollars, like it's crazy, isn't it? There we go. And I've got more questions, but I'm going to save them and you're going to have to come back on later in the season. There we go. <laughs> I'll have to get myself an agent by then, Philippa. <laughs> no, it's been a real pleasure. I really like doing this because like, we, I've never done, never done this before, but I like people having the opportunity to email in with just questions they want answers to. I've got a couple for another episode where people are just having, they've got difficult situations at work to deal with. I'm going to start speaking to some estate manager guests 
about dealing with conflict, dealing with that kind of stuff. So like, you know, we're talking with uh, experienced professionals here, recruiters and estate managers alike. So we may as well be picking people's brains and using it to help educate others. So very grateful. Before I let you go, I've got a few quick fire round questions I'm doing for everybody. Fantastic. Okay. Don't be scared. They're all right. So um, <laughs> we already know your division. You, you do the European desk. So what number of years working in recruitment? So nearly two years. So this is why you're still so happy and enjoying yourself. That is very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's your favourite role to work and why? So for me, I love a butler role, actually. I really, really do. I've worked as a butler myself and there's nothing better than hearing people, just as we were just discussing with the um, chef situation, you know, someone that's worked as a front of house um, head waiter in a restaurant that's then transitioned into being a butler at you know the Ritz for example in London what's so magical is that they don't realize that that commercial butler can become the right hand man to an ultra high net worth multi-millionaire and you just go and live this incredible lifestyle so I love a butler role I love talking to butlers hearing about their background how they got to where they are and then of course hearing about the daily life of what they do they're my favorite role fab and we've got some lovely butlers in our books haven't we you've got some lovely European butlers Uh uh-huh Biggest error made by candidates when applying for roles that you see? How long have we got? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, like no offence, but probably 50, 60% of the CVs we get are utter shite, are they? Yeah. I can understand from the candidate's perspective, you know, especially when you're wanting to step into the private household industry um, or the private industry, you know, it's difficult to know, is my CV good? How does it work best? For me, I think it's just... Good to know from uh, as a candidate that as a recruitment consultant, you know, you look at the CV. I want to see what what you're doing right now. I don't want to see what you did in 1997. We're in 2023 now. I need to see what you're doing right now, how long you were there for, where you were based, a little bit of um, a few bullet points as to what you did in that role. And then I want to see the next position that you've been working in. That just really clearly shows me what job title you've had, what you've been doing, how long you were doing it for. And then I want to pick up the phone and I want to find out so much more about your personality. I don't need a whole page summary on who you are as a person. I really want to just see what you've been doing for how long, where you've been based. And then I'm going to have a great conversation with you. It seems really basic, but we see so often CVs in the wrong chronological order. Like you say, oldest first. It seems obvious, but it's not to loads of people. So yeah. And also like, as you know, we get thousands i think we get we get about 1500 cvs a week into our agency we are glancing at the front page of your cv for a split second before we decide whether to read your cv or not and if we can't see on there what we want to see you're going to get we're going to move on super quick so you're just going to lose out you don't have long to grab our attention very true yeah couldn't agree more right what's the most commonly seen reason for people to leave their roles what are people telling you at the moment so i think it's down to Um, actually quite split so in most cases we all want to a lot of candidates want to move because of the current salary they're on they want an increase in salary they feel they've been in the same role for two years they've learned a lot they've really come a long way into their position they now want to step up a level so for salary reasons for the step up position as well and also sorry to any managers out there but Sometimes it's down to management, actually, whether that's of the principal of, or of actually the um, property manager, estate manager. I think in general, in your day to day life, you do have to understand everything, not just personally, but also from the other person's perspective as well. 
So, you know, we all go through situations um, and I do think, you know, as a manager, there's some candidates that I have spoken to that have purely move on for that reason as well. It's just not working for them. It's not the type of work-life balance that they really want. So there's a, a handful of reasons, but those are the few. I think I saw online once, it's probably quite true, it says um, people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad managers. Yeah, I saw that. That is um, probably quite true. Um, okay, what's your top tip to job seekers looking for work right now? Have I caught you off guard? Yes. I've got one. Go for it. Only apply to roles that you can actually do. Yeah, that's great. Shall I say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Point of God. Don't apply to everything. Are we going on our system? Yes. Or you can yes. see if somebody applies to a role, I can see if all the roles that you've applied to on our website. And if I can see that you've applied to 10 different roles on our website, ranging from butler to chef to nanny, I'm not going to consider you for any of them. I'll, del- I'll reject you for all of them. Even if you could potentially be a good butler. Because you've already discredited yourself by being stupid about the way you've approached your job search. Yeah, I absolutely couldn't agree more. I think it's all about apply for the job that you know you have the skill set in. I've been a butler before. I'm not going to apply for a chef role because I can't even cook breakfast for myself. I just, I'm not going to do that. But so, you know, you really are credible if you only apply for roles that that best suit you. Yeah, fine. Okay, and finally, other than ours, what's your favourite podcast at the moment? Well, as you've already said, Philippa, other than ours, so Silver Swan Recruitment, of course, um, but also Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett. Shout out to Stephen if you're listening. (laughs) I love your podcast. He has such good guests, obviously. He's also a very good interviewer. He gets right proper under the bonnet, doesn't he? He really gets people to open up. He really talks about some super like painful stuff. So, yeah, no, they're really good podcasts. Really, really Great good podcast. podcast. Great podcast. We'd recommend it. Just before you go then, one thing we didn't touch on before, it's just a question I've seen written down that we should have touched on. Because obviously being in Europe, languages, how important are languages for people? Like when clients are coming to you looking for staff, are they often requiring languages or is English normally all they need? I really like this question actually about languages because, first of all, whilst I only really focus on uh, candidates that hold an EU passport, you really need to be able to string a full sentence together. I need to know that I can talk to you. I need to know that everything I'm telling you about this role and about this client that you actually understand. So, you know, I've had it in the past where I've spoken with candidates and I just don't think there's a real barrier there. They just don't understand me. Whilst their CV is incredible, I can't put you forward to my client if you really can't speak to them. So, of course, first and foremost, you've got to be able to speak English. Being based with a lot of the clients um, who I work with are being in Europe. Essentially, an additional language is definitely a bonus. But ironically, English is first um, language. French, Spanish, Italian, hugely beneficial, of course. Fabulous. And you have a community of house managers across Europe also, don't you? Yes, we have a European house manager community. We've got such a variety of different house managers on our community and personal assistants as well. So um, it's interesting because it's great to know when we have requests of a house manager that's based in Paris, that's client just so happens to be going out to Italy. Um, We've got a house manager that can respond from Italy to say, I'd recommend this, this and this. So it's a really nice community of um, European house managers that can help each other out. Yeah, they're they're so lovely as well. So anyone that's listening, if you are based in Europe and you work in a management position of a property, whether you're a villa manager, a house manager, etc., or a private PA, then definitely reach out and we'll get you added. It's just like our other communities. It's a very informal, free WhatsApp group where we'll put you in touch with other people that do what you do in your area. It's just nice to have a, another layer of support, you know, at the end of a phone when you're stuck. Or if you're job hunting, you know, people get work off the back of it, don't they, which is great. Definitely, definitely. Cool. Well, there we go. Thank you very much. 
thank you. Thank it was you. not painful. It was painful, but it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no worries. Thank you for joining. Cool. So thank you very much. I hope people found that useful. You were a natural Charlotte. Don't worry. Um, I hope people found that useful. It's, I think it's just going to be quite nice week on week to have different guests on, but also, you know, have some of my guys on just to give you guys a bit of an insight as to what we're doing, etc. So hope you all have a good week coming up. And as always, you know where I am. Do email me with your doubt, any questions, any questions that you've got, any, anything that's bothering you at work, any situation you don't know how to deal with, just anything you want us to talk about, send them in to me at Philippa, which is one L and two P's at silversoftrecruitment.com and we will cover them wherever you're based in the world, whatever sort of a type of property you're in, whatever role you're in, um, just send it in um, and yeah, we'll, we'll try and sort of help. Um, and then as always, if you're looking for work, looking for staff, you know we are at silverswanrecruitment.com. All right, cheers guys. See you next week. Mm-hmm.